Hey y'all, and welcome to The Hill Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. We pray that this podcast will encourage you, will deepen your faith, and will inspire you to make Jesus famous. Let's dive into the message. Hey, what's up, guys? We are so pumped this morning to get to bring church to your living room, to get to get together and study the Word of God, to bring the hill straight to you, man. We are so pumped, guys. We're starting this new series called Dauntless God. Now, check this out, guys. The word dauntless means fearless or determined. Guys, that, doesn't that define who our God is? He's fearless. He's determined, literally meaning that nothing in hell can stop his love for you. Matter of fact, Romans says it like this, that nothing can separate you from his love, not height nor depth, nor things past, nor things present, nor things to come. That means that nothing that you have ever done can separate you from his love. But check it out. Not only what nothing you're going to do will separate you from the love that he has for you. That's incredible. Incredible. But that's who God is, man. It's literally saying, guys, that he won't be stopped, that nothing can stop him. As we start this series, I'm pretty pumped because we're going to be talking out of 1 Corinthians where the, the title of today's message, guys, is called Foolish Things. I was thinking about how often in our life, uh, through lack of planning or, or maybe you've been on a vacation where you thought you were prepared, but really you were super unprepared and it was probably somewhat foolish. Uh, to think to think that you could do it. I remember playing uh, football on a trampoline. We were, we were jumping up and down. Me and a friend of mine named Casey Graham, we were jumping up and down playing football, and there was a guy off the on the ground. He was throwing passes to us, and, and I jumped up and caught it, and I caught it. Casey pushed me because that's how you play football. But when he pushed me, I got flipped upside down, and I landed face first right on my nose, on the bridge of my nose, on the bar of the trampoline. Guys, there was blood absolutely everywhere. It was, it was it was horrible. Now the reality is it was a lot of fun, but it was super foolish. How often in our life is that us? Like we do something that's a lot of fun in the moment, but it's really foolish. Now there's a there's an opposite side of that that's true that I want us to pick up. Check this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 25 through 27. Here's what it says. It says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many of you were influential. Not many of you had noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Man, I love this. He says, God uses the foolish things. What society, what our world, what your world would consider senseless and foolish, the word says that God wants to use that, man. He wants to take broken people and use them, and he wants to take, take people that are totally jacked up, man. Matter of fact, Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers, guys, and they have a whole lot going on. They're kind of a messy, a messy church, guys. They're, they're, they've got plenty of issues. They've got some theological discord. They got some, they got some real struggles. And Paul's writing to them and he's saying, guys, you don't have to have it all together. Quit feeling like when you're perfect, God can use you because he's not looking for perfect. He's looking for passionate. See, he's not looking for you to feel like you have it all together. He wants you willing and available, guys. It's not, per again, perfection doesn't move God's heart. Passion does. Paul's writing to these guys and he's like, look, I know you're jacked up. I ain't looking, God ain't looking for you to have it all together. He's not looking, again, for you to be perfect. He's just looking for you to be present. 
wow, my God. He's just, I was thinking about that. I'm not a perfect husband, but I'm a present husband. I'm not a perfect father, but I'm a present father. See, I think sometimes we feel like when we're perfect, then we'll measure up. But the reality is most of the people in your life, more than they need you to be perfect because they know you can't be, they just want you to be present. They want you to be there and willing to do or be whatever, whatever is needed in the moment. Paul's writing to these, these Corinthians believers, and he's like, y'all are messed up, man. Y'all are, you got some jacked up stuff going on, he says. But he says, but, but look what God has done in and, through, in and through your life. And again, I know that we all feel like that, right? Like you're messed up, and I'm messed up, and, and we all know people messed up. I was thinking about this and I was realizing that, that we're not alone. Check this out. I was doing some studying and I just got a whole bunch of people that God used. Abraham was too old. And Isaac, Isaac was a daydreamer. And Jacob, y'all, Jacob's name means liar or trickster. Jacob was a deceiver. Leah, Leah was ugly. Joseph, Joseph was abused and mistreated and abandoned. Moses, he was a murderer and he couldn't even talk well. Gideon, Gideon was afraid of his own shadow, y'all. Gideon was afraid of everything. Samson, y'all, Samson slept with a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. And Hosea married a prostitute. It's in Jeremiah and Timothy in the word, guys. God used them greatly, but they were too young. They didn't fit the age of what should have been used. But God wasn't looking to work inside the parameters of the box. He was looking just for someone that was willing. They were too young, but God said it doesn't matter. David, we loved King David, the most prolific king probably of all time. But David, he was an adulterer and David was a murderer. Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Isaiah, y'all, Isaiah preached naked. <laughs> I was just not trying to imagine that. Come on, somebody. But I was thinking about that. Can you imagine if you walked in church Sunday? And preacher showed up completely new. Yeah, he'd go to prison. Like, that was Isaiah, though. Isaiah, like, can you imagine walking in to church and the guy gets up and he ain't got no clothes on? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to picture this, but I'm trying to picture the audience in this thing. Usually, they tell the speaker, picture the crowd naked, all right? But Isaiah got that really turned around. But nevertheless, Isaiah went through a season where he preached naked, guys. Jonah, Jonah ran from the call of God, ran from the purpose of God, yet God still used him. Naomi Y'all, she was a widow, right? She was supposed to never have anything in life. She was supposed to, after her husband died, she was supposed to be barren and without, but God still used Naomi. Job, Job lost everything, guys. Job was broke as a joke on coke, guys. Job went bankrupt, yet God still used him. There's a donkey that talked to Balaam, and it was a donkey. Come on, somebody. Peter, Peter denied Christ, and Martha... Martha dealt with anxiety. Mary Magdalene, guys, she was demon-possessed. You got a leg up on Mary Magdalene. She was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman, she was divorced and living with her current boyfriend. But yet God still made a point to reach her. I was thinking about Zacchaeus. Now, he was too small. <laughs> come on, somebody. I was thinking about how Paul was a murderer. And I come to the realization that Lazarus was dead when Jesus called him out to come on, somebody. 
See, I know that you have plenty of reasons, plenty of, of things that when you look at your life of why God can't do something in and through you, why you'll never measure up, why you can't be a good husband, why you can't, can't take a, get a promotion, why you can't be the father that you were called to be. And really, the, the, the reality is, guys, they're just excuses. And, and God's not looking at the excuses that you feel identify you. He's looking at the identity that he created you to be. Right? That's through him. That, that we were fearfully and that we were wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis says. That's, that's what's going on here. As, as he's writing to the Corinthians, he's like, man, you realize that you shouldn't measure up. But God's not looking for the stuff that amazed the world. He's looking for the stuff that would, that, that, that would catch his heart and that he could hold on to. He's looking for a person. He's looking for a woman. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a child. Look, matter of fact, the word says his eye is searching to and fro the earth, just looking for someone to say yes. The problem is we have our lives and they're messed up. He's going, I, I don't need you to fix it all. Let me, Right? I'm the master. I'm the master carpenter. Why do you think he was a carpenter, right? Because he knew how to put stuff back together that was broken. Yeah, I know that there were some, some physical things that he was putting back together, but it was very symbolic how in your life that he can come into your broken marriage, your broken existence. And the minute you, you give it to him, he can put it back together. Um, I don't build stuff. I have friends that build stuff and I hate them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. The reality is not my gift. And, and usually around the church and usually when we're trying to build stuff, everyone gets excited. This is the one time I, everybody gets excited when I leave, not when I'm there, right? Because I slow production down because I want to do what I do, right? And I want to talk to everybody, encourage the crowd. And really, they want me to leave so they can get their hands on the project. That's God. He wants you to let go of all the broken stuff and he wants you to give it to him so that he can put it back together. Check it out though. Not only can God use who he wants, but God can use what he wants. There was this one time, this lady, her sons were going to be taken away and put into slavery, right? And she's like, no, don't take my sons. What am I going to do? And God, God says, tell you what, go get some buckets. I'm like, I'm trying to put myself in her shoes and I'm trying to fathom this concept of me praying, Lord, I'm going to lose everything. My creditors, they're going to come take my kids and put them in slavery. And God says, I feel you. Go get some buckets. Like I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, go get some buckets. Get some buckets, right? Go get some buckets. Like that's not going to work. They're taking my kids. But yet God just said, go get some buckets, right? Use what you have and go get some buckets from your neighbors. He, he, he said, go get some buckets from your neighbors. Guys, because so often in our life when we're going through stuff, we want to retreat from community, but he wants us to engage in community. He could have absolutely done something just, he said, I'll use what's in your house, but go borrow from your neighbors. He could have just used what was in her house and not had her go talk to her friends, but God knew more than, more than he wanted her just whole, right? Whole and alone. He wanted her whole and within community. So he says, go borrow. There's one time this guy named Samson was in the middle of a fight and the thousand Philistines were coming at him. Y'all, he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and he killed a thousand, a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Like I'm reading this story and I'm trying to comprehend like if they were coming at me, what would I do? God, I need your help. And he says, grab, grab that bone and use it. I'd be like, are you kidding me, God? I need deliverance. 
And then God says, I know, but sometimes deliverance, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to empower deliverance to come through your hand. I'm going to require you to do something about your own situation. Yes, I'm going to empower you to do it, but you have to fight for it with me. Come on, somebody. You're not fighting alone. But you got to do it. He says, I'll use the jawbone of a donkey. One time they were working a building, a building and this guy, his axe head fell into the river and he was terrified of what was going to happen. And the prophet walks up and he says, prophet, my axe head fell in the river and it was borrowed. And the prophet grabs a stick and throws it in the river and the axe head floats. Come on, like throw a stick in the water so metal would float. Like that is foolishness. But God can use what? he wants to use. One time Jesus, this guy was blind, and Jesus spit into the dirt and made mud and wiped it on his eyes. Can you imagine, like, if we were having a healing service and you walked up and you said, Pastor, um, I'm, I have headaches, and I went, <laughs> can you fathom that? Jesus, I need help. And he went, <laughs> and spit into the ground and made mud. Right? But he can use whatever he wants to use. It's foolishness to the world, it's foolishness to society, right? But it's, 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 it's magnificent in God's eyes. Not only that, guys, but also Moses. Uh, the, the, the enemy was coming, there was wilderness, and there were mountains, and the enemy was chasing them down, and they were at the edge of the Red Sea, and he's going, Lord, I need your help. God, I need deliverance. And God says, that's right, Moses, lift up your staff. Like, I'm thinking to myself, if I was in that place and I thought my life was, was, was coming to an end and I knew that, that I didn't know if I was going to make it another five minutes and I said, God, I need help. And God said, lift up that staff. I'd be like, I need more than that. I need fire from heaven to take care of some stuff. Right? But, but God said, lift up your staff. It was foolishness. All these instances, guys, they were absolutely foolish. But God can use who he wants and what he wants. Right? He, he can use whatever method he chooses to bring about deliverance or miracles or promotion in your life. See, God can use anyone or anything. He can use anybody. All these stories are messed up people, right? He can use anyone that's willing and available. So I guess that poses the question, are you available? Gosh, like that's a, that, that's a, that's a tough thing right now. If we were in church, I would tell you to look at the person sitting next to you and ask them if you were available. And then all the single guys would thank me later. Come on, somebody. But the reality is, this is a question we have to, we have to ask ourselves. Am I available? Am I available for God to use? Am I, am I getting him access to my life? Or am I, am I looking at God going, well, God, I'm busy right now. Like, God, I got four kids and sports and I got four churches and, and we're trying to do, we're trying to plan a church and we're trying to, trying to really run this online. God, I got all this stuff going on. And sometimes God's going, I didn't ask what you had going on. I, I asked if you were available. And I'm like, but God, look at my schedule. Like, I'll grab my book for you, and I'll open it for you, and you can see how I don't have. And God's going, stop giving me all the reasons why you can't. I just want to know, yes or no, are you available? Guys, this is the question that we have to answer at some point in our life. Are we available for God? I heard one time, and it said this, if the enemy can't get you to fall, he'll get you busy. If he can't get you to backslide, if he can't get you to retreat from the things that God has called you to do, if he can't get you to retreat from, from, from salvation, if he can't get you to run away, right? He'll get you busy and so busy that you forget about what you're supposed to be doing while you were created, right? He'll get you, he'll get you busy. I wonder how many of us are too busy for breakthrough. 
I wonder how many of us were so busy and we're going, God, I don't have time. And God's going, man, you need to make time. You need to make time. Are, are you available? And the next question is, is, are you willing? Guys, if we were to be honest, and, and yeah, I know that we say, I'm willing, Pastor Bo, I'm willing, I'm available, and I'm willing for whatever. But guys, the reality is faith without works is dead. The kingdom of God is not of talk, but it's of power. I think the problem is, guys, that a lot of people are talking, right? God is not looking for more talk. He's looking for people. He's looking for some, some men and some women to stand up and say, listen, I talked for a lot of years, but I'm ready to walk. Listen, God, I talked about the things I should be doing, but I'm ready to live this thing out from here till the day I die. I'm ready to walk this thing out every day of my life, guys, because the reality is the kingdom of God is not of talk. It's of power. Have you ever seen something that, that you thought, an idea that you thought of that someone else, like eventually it, it was built, and you were like, you're kidding me, I had the idea for that, and I can't, I should have built it, because I'd be a millionaire. Have you ever had those things? I heard this guy, he put those, those strips on the highway, you know, they used to be strips, now they're the rumble strips, but there used to be these little plastic uh, um, pieces of plastic, when you run over them, they, they make that sound and they keep you awake, right, um, and, and let you know that you're drifting off the road. The, this guy at some point, I guess in California, had this idea that said people are drifting and they're not paying attention and they're becoming so distracted that they're running off the road. So he invented these strips. And I believe if I remember the, the statistic or the, the figure, right, it was something think of like half a cent per plastic strip throughout California. How many know the guy's a millionaire? He probably wasn't the first person that thought of it. He's just the first person that did something about it. I feel I'm so tired of people saying what they're going to do. I'm ready for people to start doing something. I can't help but think that God is ready for people to do something, right? He's ready for us to act, right? God, we, we can't tell that in the process of this, though, we don't tell God how to move. We make room for him to move, right? We give opportunity for him to move. Our job is to make available. Our job is to be willing. Our job is to make room for him to do whatever he wants to do. And we do this through two ways, patience and movement. Patience meaning it's God's time, not ours, right? How many of us wish that God would move in our time? <laughs> I know I do. I, uh, um, I want stuff done now. Like I'm pretty rigid on my schedule. Um, pretty rigid, not perfect. Come on, somebody. But the reality is, guys, God's going, listen, I, I need you to be patient. Because, see, I, I heard just the other day, the only thing, a uh, difference between a mess and a message is time. Age. Time. Like, we have to be involved. Like, he, he, he's got a plan, and it's great for us, but we have got, it, it requires our involvement. It requires our activity, right? The word in James says this, that faith without works is dead, right? God, he wants to do something awesome, but it's going to require your movement. You have to do something about it, right? You're going to have to act. Again, he's telling the Corinthians in this in this. This said in the scripture, he's like, look, man, don't forget where you come from. Don't forget how messed up you were. But remember, more than that, let, let all the, the history of your life, let it be something that builds you up, not in who you are, but who God is in your life, right? Let, let, the, the, let the testimonies of your past, let it provoke you to move closer to God and to the things that he has for you. The problem is, guys, in the process, in our life, we get caught up by the methods. 
We get caught. Like as we're moving forward, God says, do this. And we get caught. I remember uh, when we were first growing in Stockton, church was growing. People were driving from all over. And obviously, I'm a, I'm a 29, 30-year-old pastor, and I'm ready to build. Let's build. And everyone around me is, let's build. Let's build. In the process of that, the Lord said, no, go. we need to plan a church. And I was like, plan? Let's build. Let's build because they'll drive in, right? If you build it, they'll come. That's the way this works. That's the way this works in rural America. And the Lord was like, no, I'm not calling you to build right now. I'm calling you to go. Come on, somebody. Right? See, the problem was a lot of us, we get caught by the method. But the reality is we should, we should be released by the message. Come on, somebody. Sometimes God speaks things to us. And they're so abstract that it catches us off guard. And we, we quit moving forward because we've never heard of anyone do it. We've never seen it done. See, we get caught by the method, but we should be released by the message. So God said, you need to go and plant a church. And I was like, I don't know how. And he said, I know. And I said, well, how do I do it? And, he would just, and then God just sat there. <laughs> and he waited for movement to happen. Because the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God, Right? Sometimes he says, go plant a church. For me, it was go plant a church. But I didn't know the next several steps, only the destination and the next. And when I took the next step, guess what God began to do? Won't he do it? He eliminated the next and the next and the next and the next. I was thinking about the story when Jesus fed the 5,000. He's standing there and the disciples are like, Jesus, everybody's hungry. And, uh, and Jesus looks at them and he says, well, you feed them. And they said, well, we ain't got nothing but a little bit of fish. We just got a little bit of fish. That's all we got. And, and Jesus says, give me that fish. <laughs> he says, give me that fish. I want that fish. And, and I'm thinking about this. And it was just a simple fish. I mean, matter of fact, there were fish that would have fed a little boy. We're talking more like sardines, right? More like something that, that would be a snack for a grown man. But Jesus said, give me that fish. It was a simple, it was a foolish thing to think that a little fish a few little fish and a few loaves of bread could feed the crowd. But nevertheless, Jesus said, it's willing and it's available. They're willing and available. Give me the fish. I can use it. It was a fish that would have fed a little boy. And God goes, I can use it. If you'll give it to me, I can use it. I was thinking about Noah and how Noah was running from the call, the anointing of God, that what God had for him to do. And as he's running from it, don't you know the storm began to rage? And Noah threw himself overboard. The, the, the sailors and Noah, they threw him overboard. And guess what happened? God saw that, that the promise that he had, God saw the plan that he had, not only for Noah, but also for Nineveh, was about to drown. And he said, give me that fish. Come on, somebody. Give me that fish. And the fish came swinging along, and it swallowed Noah up. It swallowed for three days and nights, y'all. He stayed in the belly of this great fish. I, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about how, how, how often in my life I'm going the wrong way, and I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. And God says, I'll eat. I love you so much that I will even use your mistakes to get you pointed back in the right direction. I'll even use the things that, that make you want to run away. I'll use things that, that, that push you away. I'll use them. If, when, when I see you going the wrong way, when I see the wrong things happening, I will even use those things to bring you back to the plan of God that I have for your life. And that fish spit Noah up on the right shoreline. Think about that, y'all. It could have spit him up on any shoreline, but it spit him up on the right one. And Noah, 
as he got after he got I don't know what's worse to be eaten by a big fish or to be vomited by a big fish. I don't know what's worse. But I guess there's a third option and that would be the worst. Come on somebody. And so he vomited him up and he got up and he ran you know, all the way to Nineveh. Right? God said, give me that fish. I'll use the fish. I'll just use the fish. Not only that, Jesus, he's, uh, he's walking in, um, walking up and to Capernaum or from Capernaum, I don't remember. And as he's walking up, the synagogue rulers come up to him. They're like, what, you ain't paying taxes? What, you too good to pay taxes? We're in tax season, somebody. They walk up to Jesus and his disciples, and they're like, look, your master, he don't even pay taxes. And Jesus kind of overheard them talking, and, and Jesus looking at them like this, and he's like, oh, I see what's happening. You show up trying to tax me? You, you showing up trying to, trying to tax me on this stuff? Give me that fish. He said, Peter, go get a hook. And throw it in the water. Now, I'm trying to picture this. I'm, I'm picturing Jesus saying, telling me, I'm going, Lord, I got this issue. And I don't know how. Like, they're expecting this from me. I don't know how to do it. I don't know. I don't have what it takes. And Jesus saying, just go fishing. A lot of us, that's, that's a retreat. But for me, I'm thinking, no, no, I, I have to do something. And Jesus is going, you do. You have to obey me. Throw that hook in the water. It doesn't have to make sense. It's foolishness to the world. But I know where the fish is at. I, 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 look, I know that it doesn't have to make sense within your marriage or within your job or, or within your rebellious teenager or, or whatever it is. Go, I know it doesn't have to make sense in the confines of your sickness or the confines of your depression or discouragement. I get what you're saying, but Jesus is saying, listen, listen, I know where the fish are at. Just throw that hook in the water. And wouldn't you know Peter throws that hook in the water and guess what happens? He catches a fish. And he opens the fish's mouth. And there was enough money in that. There's a coin in that fish's mouth that paid for Peter's taxes and Jesus' taxes. There's a lot going on in that, in that story. And I'm not going to try to preach that whole story at this point. But I want to say this. That, that because Peter obeyed, because he obeyed, his, because Peter obeyed, his needs were met. Provision lies on the other side of obedience. Matter of fact, it was a temple tax. This, this, temple, this temple tax, it was something they all had to pay, right, to keep the temple going. And I love what's going on here because Jesus was basically telling Peter, Peter, nothing will keep you from, nothing will hinder you from having to be in, nothing can hinder you from getting into my presence. Nothing can stop you. And what you think would keep you from getting near to me, I've already paid the price for. Matter of fact, uh, there's a there's a, a symbol called Yictus. It's, it's the Jesus fish as we know it. It's interesting. I looked at where it came from. It says this fish is an ancient Christian symbol known from the first century catacombs in Rome. The Greek word within the fish is Ictus, which means fish in Greek. It's also an acronym for the phrase Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. It's so crazy, guys. Because they would write in the dirt, they would draw this fish. And it was a signal for other, other Jesus believers, other Jesus followers in a time of persecution that there was safety and provision. Now, we don't face persecution like that. But this fish, right, this, 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 this symbol, Jesus, guys, he's still there for provision. Guys, he's still there 
for protection. I was thinking about this. Maybe, maybe it just seems all random. Maybe, maybe it seems like it was poor planning and Jesus was just like, well, we got to use something. It'll be a fish. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the case. Or maybe because it's possible that God was showing us from the beginning of time the importance of being evangelistic. Was it random or was it really intentional? I think that when I think about a dauntless God, when I think about a fearless God, a determined God, I think that he will use whatever, who Whoever, whenever, whyever, however he wants to. Because it's his will that none should perish, that none should fall away, that none should, should be separated from him. It's his will that all guys should come to the knowledge and the glory of God. Guys, this dauntless God, he's more able than you can ever fathom to, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could think or ask. Love you guys. What a wonderful word that God had specifically for your life this morning. I love how God's word is for us. And let me tell you, Pastor Bo challenged us today. He challenged us that, man, if God is calling you to do something, you better do it. And what was so awesome is that God didn't use the perfect. God didn't use those that were so qualified. He uses those who aren't qualified. He uses those who are not living a perfect life. He just wants someone to be willing and someone to be obedient. Provision lies on the other side of obedience. If God is calling you to do something, you better do it. God's word says in Esther, maybe you were created for such a time as this. And God wants you to be obedient and to follow him. We're just going to pray for you this morning. If God has been doing something in your life this morning, know that we want to hear about it. We want you to drop us a line, send us a, shoot us an email. Um, we are just excited to be a part of what God is doing. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, just to be able to, uh, to speak life this morning. And God, if you've been working in hearts and lives this morning, God, we just ask that they would accept you as their Savior, what you have done for them. And Lord, we just ask for obedience this morning, God, strength for obedience, God, where you are calling this morning, God, we just ask that we would answer that call. Lord, I just ask that you would bless all that are watching. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in again on this awesome week of worship and, and God's awesome word. We're so glad you were here, and we will see you again next week on The Hill Online. Hey guys, don't click out just yet. We're so excited that you could join us today. Don't forget to like and share this message, and also subscribe to our podcast channel so that the latest message is always waiting on you. If this ministry has had an impact on your life, we would love to connect with you via social media on Instagram and Facebook. We would also love to see you in person at one of our many locations. For service times and locations or to give to this ministry, you can download our app or visit us online at www.thehill.us. We can't wait to hear from you and all that God is doing in your life. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time right here on The Hill Podcast.